The scripture reading this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. And stooping in and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Chancel Choir, for the glorious anthem. Oscar Wilde, writing in the picture of Dorian Gray, had this to say. He said, I choose my friends for their good looks my acquaintances for their good character, and my enemies for their good intellects. One cannot be too careful in the choice of one's enemies. Who are our enemies? Those whom we have chosen and those who have put a target on our back as well. Be cautious around folks who claim they've never had an enemy in this life. They might stretch the truth about other things as well. Enemies can be persons, sometimes groups, or concepts and ideas, attitudes, principalities, and powers, to use a biblical expression, inanimate objects, those things that just seem to keep getting in the way that we run into and trip over all the time. Anything that sets itself up or that we set up in opposition to ourselves, who are our enemies? At some point in our lives, maybe now, maybe in days past, many of us, maybe not many, but some of us, some of you maybe have considered your parents or our parents as enemies. How in the world else are you going to describe the behavior of two seemingly reasonable people who wouldn't let me go to bed at night with Reese's peanut butter cups and barbecue fritos? What other tag do we hang on overbearing people who believe that taking baths and doing homework is more important than time spent on the tablet or talking on the phone? I ran across an expression that made me stop and think, and I couldn't find the exact source who said this first. And I know it certainly doesn't apply to every one of us here today, but it made me stop and think. Somebody said, we're really not able to become adults until we can first forgive our parents. Who are our enemies? And what about children? An enemy attacks our physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. 
And aren't there times when our children threaten all three? Stop and think about it. You don't have to call any names or elbow anybody sitting next to you. But have you seen the wall plaque that reads, Insanity is hereditary. We get it from our children. (laughs) I mean, when we were children, none of us ever thought about doing anything to frustrate or aggravate or intimidate our parents. I know that we wouldn't do that. But children now will set themselves up in opposition to us. And I do remember years ago, it was a Sunday morning. I was getting ready for church. The kids were dressed. They were clean. I mean, everything was just right. And I got to missing them and looked around, and there they were in the den, in the fireplace, playing in the ashes with their little matchbox cars. And, uh, oh, goodness, they lived to tell about it. But... <laughs> And they may not remember it exactly that way. And it had been a while since there was a fire in the fireplace, so they were in no danger except from me and my wife. (laughs) And one of my favorite sayings is, the reason grandparents and grandkids get along so well is because they have a common enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Who are our enemies? Sometimes somebody in our own family, maybe or a friend, we thought, or a teacher, or a student. The folks who work for us, the folks we work for. I remember years ago when I worked before ministry days, I worked for Colonial Stores. They're gone now. They were a grocery store chain in Atlanta and elsewhere for a long time. And my coworkers and I, we were teenagers. We considered the bosses, the managers, our enemies. And anything they did, we, we seemed to object to. Never mind that we were well paid, never mind that they scheduled our hours so we could go to school and occasionally have a weekend night off and took care of us in a lot of ways. They were the enemy. And it was at that time that I joined the only radical, subversive, revolutionary group that I've ever belonged to, beside the church. We called ourselves the SBLA, the Sack Boys Liberation Army. (laughs) Who are our enemies? There are legion, there are many. Woodrow Wilson said, if you want to make enemies, try to change something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes concerning Christ, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death defeated. That sounds in so many ways, doesn't it, like a foolish topic. What are we talking about? Have we lost our minds? Pick up a newspaper, a hard copy, an online copy, and look. Most likely in every edition, there's an obituary column. Often the names are unfamiliar, but sometimes they're not unfamiliar. And it's painful, and it's difficult, and we think people who say that death is a defeated foe are are crazy. Everywhere we look, there seems to be evidence Paul said that. So what did he mean by that, that the final enemy is death and death defeated? I want us to think about that and also look back in the Old Testament to Psalm 118, particularly verses 14 through 24. We find there the monarch, the king, who describes his suffering as being surrounded by the nations and attacked by fierce enemies. It is uncertain whether the psalm describes a particular incident, a particular battle, or if it was one of those sayings that was read and used when these incidents came up. It was a a common saying, a, a general 
kind of saying, when the king returned from battle as a winner and not a loser, the battle can be seen as one of the representative battles of good versus evil, and there are several of those incidents in scripture. In some Near Eastern religions, a drama was enacted where the king and one of the gods, one of the little g-gods, would engage in a fight, and the king and his good fight, and the powers of evil and chaos would be the enemy. In our own Christian tradition, if we return to one of the older forms of the Apostles' Creed that other traditions still use, we read where Jesus is said to have descended into hell. And Jesus' harrowing of hell, his clearing out of hell, involved his invasion of Satan's domain and a struggle with powers of evil and darkness. And in this psalm, there are parallels to the invasion of hell, so to speak, a king's fight against his enemies. The struggle of the king, like the struggle of Jesus, is depicted as a struggle of good versus evil. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord, the psalmist said. The Lord has chastened me sorely, but he has not given me over to death. The real enemy, the final annihilator, is death. So the king can explain his success in battle is God's not letting him fall into the power of death. And can you not hear the resurrection overtones in this passage from so many years before the time of Jesus? The psalm contains that all-quoted verse in 118.24, and we all know that, and we sing about it sometimes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because this is the day, this is Easter day, this is the day of resurrection, this is the day when a second date was chiseled on the tombstone of death itself. Death of death and hell's destruction, the hymn writer proclaims, land me safe on Canaan's side. Death still stalks the earth, but its head is bent and its shoulders are stooped and the gleam is gone from its eyes because it is a defeated foe. Its ability to destroy has been greatly reduced, and its ultimate power has been stripped away forever and ever, and we're here to celebrate that and to proclaim that and to be reminded of that. In one of the visions in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 14, we read this about the fate of death. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And then in chapter 21 and verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Paul says that if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all persons most to be pitied. But in fact, he goes on, Christ has been raised from the dead and so shall we. Because of Adam's sin, we're all condemned to death eternally, but because of Christ's victory and Christ's resurrection, we shall all live eternally. And then Paul strongly alludes to the times when Christ shall deliver the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power, and Christ will reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
So a part of our Easter hope is that a day is coming when even the reduced powers of death will be eliminated, erased, done away with for all time. Fear of death no more can stop us from our pressing here below, for our Lord has now empowered us to triumph over every foe. Hallelujah. On to victory we go. The gospel lesson is a celebration. It's a telling of Luke's story, what happened that first Easter. The women had come with spices to prepare the body. They came by dawn's first light, and they found that the stone, the large stone, had been rolled away. The body was missing. Two persons were there, two men, some translations say, probably messengers, maybe angels appeared. And they inquired of the startled women, why are you looking for the living folks among the dead folks? He's not here. And then they reminded the women of some of Jesus' own words about what was to happen. And they recalled those words once they heard them repeat it back. And returning from the tomb, they told the remaining 11 all that they had seen and heard. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the one who defeated death among the dead? Why are you looking for the victor among the victims? Why are you looking for the conqueror among the conquered. The strife is o'er, the battle done. The victory of life is won. The song of triumph has begun, hallelujah. The powers of death have done their worst, but Christ their legions hath dispersed. Let shouts of joy outburst, hallelujah. The three sad days have quickly sped. He rises glorious from the dead, all glory to our risen head, hallelujah. Lord, by the stripes which wounded thee, from death's dread seeing thy servants free, that we may live and sing to thee. Hallelujah. It was on a Friday when he was nailed to a tree, and they were all there. All of them. Not a single one of them was missing. All of his enemies sneering and leering up at him. They were, they were all there. Greed and envy and prejudice and hatred and death. None were absent. It was on a Sunday morning when the tomb of Jesus was unsealed and the fate of all his enemies were sealed forever and ever. Amen. One writer talking about Paul, when Paul was writing about the death, death is the last enemy, said that for Paul, death was synonymous with Satan, with the devil, the powers of evil, the forces of evil. And one more personal story, going back to one of those children of mine who liked to climb around in the ashes on Sunday morning. He was ready for bed one night, and I was sitting beside his bed. I don't know how in the world this came up. I don't know where the question came from. He said, Dad, why doesn't God just kill the devil? I don't know where he got that. But anyway, I said, well, relying on my theological training and all my years in the church, and all my experience in ministry, son, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And then I said something about God giving us a choice, God hoping that we would choose good over evil, that we would choose to follow instead of turning our back on the, on the love of God. Why doesn't God get rid of the devil? Why doesn't God eliminate sin and death totally? 
I believe their days are numbered. And I believe that it's been downhill for them ever since that day. That great getting up morning when God kicked their backside at Calvary. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Physical death, death of our spirit, our passion, our life, our inner life. Death of those forces in this world who would do great harm. Anne Weems is one of my favorite contemporary poets. She's written books about Christmas and about Lent and Easter and Jerusalem. She said, death abides not on a hill called Golgotha, but in every heart that makes room. Life abides not outside of a garden tomb in Jerusalem, but in every heart that makes room. I heard two soldiers talking as down the hill they came. The somber hill of Calvary, bleak and dark and still, and I said, one said, the night is late. These thieves take long to die. And one said, I'm so afraid, I know not why. I heard two women weeping as down the hill they came. One was like a broken rose and one was like a flame. One said, folk shall rue this deed their hands have done. And one said, only through her tears, my son, my son, my son. I heard two angels singing ere the dawn was bright. And they were clad in shining robes, robes and crowns of light. And one said, death is vanquished in one in golden voice, saying, love hath conquered, conquered all, even death. O heaven and earth, rejoice. Amen.